Well, for those who may not know me well, I want to introduce myself. My name is Brandon Knott. I've been a member here for going on about eight and a half years. And <clears throat> I wonder how many of you uh, know exactly where you were and what you were doing three years ago today. Maybe not many of you. Um, I don't know what I was doing three years ago yesterday, but I know for sure what I was doing three years ago today, uh, on November 13th. <laughs> um, Nikki and I went down and met <clears throat> Ryan Leonardo. For the first time, Leo was four months old and the bouncer in the foster home that they were in, and uh, Araya was almost two, cruising around, eating grapes that she was finding, <laughs> stashed around the room, it seemed. Um, the day before, uh, November 12th, 2019, was an important day as well. Um, that was the day Disney Plus launched. And uh, foster mom <laughs> down there expressed how she was finding that quite life-changing uh, in the 24 hours since. So Beauty and the Beast was the soundtrack to the meeting. Uh, it was playing the whole time we were there, meeting Leo and Raya for the first time. Um, three days after that, they came to... Three days later, they came to our home uh, to live with us. So... <laughs> They spent uh, the next two and a half years, about 900 days with us in our home. And for the last six and a half months, they've been back um, in the care of their mother. I promise it's going to get better. For the last six and a half months, they've been back in the care of their mother. And we've seen them uh, twice since then, including a couple weeks ago. And uh, it was a joy to see them. And they're doing well. And keep praying for them. Praying for them and their mom and their brother and sister. Um, I would love for you guys to see them again soon. I know they were welcomed not just into our family, but into this family. So That experience, I suppose, is why I was asked to, to preach today on Orphan Sunday. It's been such a, <clears throat> it's been a great morning already, um, so rich. Um, thank you who have been up here. So our sermon text today is Psalm 10. If you can go ahead and turn there to Psalm 10. Title of the message, taking some inspiration from Paul in Romans 11, who instructs, uh, instructs us to note then the severity and the kindness of God. So my title today is Noting the Tenderness and the Justice of God in His Care for Orphans. We're going to jump off from Psalm 10 today. Would you stand with me? Sorry, especially if you're visiting. It's, uh, honestly, it's not like this every week. But um, Psalm 10. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the, wi the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. 
For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, you can have a seat. My goals today are, are simple but lofty. Um, I want to inspire love and awe and worship in all of us toward God as a compassionate and tender Father. And two, I want to inspire in us more love for neighbor, especially the weakest and the most vulnerable. Of course, those will only be accomplished if God moves and does that in us. So we pray, even as we preach and as we listen, that he'll be at work. My outline, also fairly uh, straightforward. Um, Point one will be God's tenderness and his care for orphans, jumping off of Psalm 10. And also point two, God's justice and his care for orphans. And then two points of application. Enjoy the Father's love. And follow your Father's love. And I'll note those points as we go through for those taking notes. Before we jump into point one, I want to define um, what we mean, what I mean at least while I'm up here um, by an orphan. Um, UNICEF defines an orphan as a child who's lost one or both parents to death. Um, That would be a single orphan or a double orphan. U.S. immigration law. Uh, takes the double orphan definition, those children who have lost both parents to death. I'll take a broader definition today, inspired, I hope, by the Bible in a way that will hopefully become clear as we move forward. I have in mind a definition that's wide enough to include children who've lost parents to death, as the definitions we've just heard, children abandoned by parents, children who've been abused or neglected by parents, to the that the kids are removed from their care. In that sense, I would also include in my definition, in my thinking, the at-risk unborn, those who are in danger of being abandoned by their parents through abortion. 
So that's a broad definition. It's not necessarily exhaustive. Um, there are others you could mention, uh, but those are some categories maybe to keep in mind as we go forward and talk about orphans and caring for them. So point number one is God's tenderness in his care for orphans. <clears throat> the tenderness of God is shown in his heart for the orphan, for the orphan, and in his commands to his people to see them, to consider them, to love them, to provide for them. If you take a survey of what scripture has to say about orphan care, you'll find a few things to be true, I think. Here are a few of my observations. The predominant term used, uh, especially throughout the Old Testament, is the fatherless. And the fatherless are often grouped with widows, sojourners, and less often, but still occasionally, with the Levite. I'm going to give you one example of that. Deuteronomy 14, 28 to 29, in a section on tithes, speaking to the nation of Israel under God's direct rule. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner, the Levite, that grouping you'll see again in... Exodus 22, Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 24, Deuteronomy 27, throughout the law, Ezekiel 22, Psalm 68, Psalm 94, Isaiah 1, Isaiah 10, Malachi 3, Jeremiah 22, Zechariah 9. It's overwhelming, that evidence, that grouping together. And that's why I take a broad definition today. I don't think God is so particular in drawing specific boundaries for our purposes and caring for orphans around defining the term so precisely. God groups these various vulnerable, at risk of exploitation, at risk of not being provided for groups, those who are bereaved, bereaved of parents, bereaved of husband, deprived of homeland and people. And this is who God chooses to identify with and to defend, the weak and the vulnerable. And it's not sentimental on God's part. It goes to the heart of who God is. It's not primarily, first and foremost, so much about orphan children as it is about a God, a God who is just, who is involved, who's aware, and who is compassionate. This God is not about survival of the fittest. He's not a God of natural selection. He's a God who expresses his godness toward human beings in the lifting up of the downcast. Notice also on this point, for these groups who get grouped together in Scripture, for those who have lost, God offers himself not necessarily, not really as a replacement, but as the fulfillment of everything that they have lost. Here's what I mean. Think of the widow widow who's lost husband. Isaiah 54, 5, God says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. For the sojourner who has left home and is separated from homeland and home people, 
Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. For the Levite, Deuteronomy 14, which we read a minute ago, the Levite has no portion or inheritance with you. All the other tribes got their own land and their own space, but the Levites, because they were given to God to serve, particularly in God's service, were dispersed throughout the land. They didn't have their own boundary that they could call for the tribe of Levi. So they had no portion or inheritance. Deuteronomy 18 says, The Lord their God is their inheritance. In Psalm 16:5, The Lord is my chosen portion. And finally, for the orphan, for the fatherless, Psalm 68, verse 5, Father of the fatherless is God in his holy habitation. For those, all those that have, are bereaved and for all that they have lost, God offers himself as their fulfillment. Another observation from reading, surveying what the scriptures have to say about the fatherless, about the orphan, is that God does this work through his people. God expresses who he is, he expresses who he cares about, and then he calls his people to be the hands, the feet, the boots on the ground to go and to work and to give. One example of that among many. Deuteronomy 24, verses 17 to 22. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Explicit provision was made for the fatherless, the sojourner, and the widow. Deuteronomy 24, we just heard. Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 14. There are also many passages prohibiting mistreating or withholding justice from them, which they would have been very vulnerable to. Exodus 22, Deuteronomy 27. Psalms, Proverbs, Jeremiah, Zechariah. Throughout the scriptures, all prohibit wronging these vulnerable groups. God cares for these people, and he cares for them through his people, through his people. He's saying to Israel in law, you Israelites were once a people with no homeland who were once in slavery, and God looked on you, and he pitied you, and he had mercy on you, and he led you out into prosperity. So now you must love and care for those who have no homeland, have mercy on them, and share your prosperity with them. So we too, Christians, must see that we were the most helpless and the most needy in the spiritual realms of all God's creatures. So a particular concern should be aroused in us for those who are weak and who are vulnerable and those who have the greatest need. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
James 1.27, which was mentioned earlier. Now back to our text in Psalm 10. I want us to note and see the comprehensive tenderness of God. Look at verse 14. Psalm 10.14. The psalmist has spent a lot of time speaking about the wicked. But now he addresses God directly and he affirms, God, you do see. And you not only see, but you note mischief and vexation. And you not only see it and you not only take note of it, but you take it into your hands. In verse 17, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted, but you not only hear it, you incline your ear. You're leaning in. You want to hear. You're eager to hear that you may do justice. Verse 18. Comprehensive tenderness expressed in comprehensive care, not for those who have more merit, but for those who have more need. Draw out that principle to its utmost conclusion. Take it to its farthest extent. And you have this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we, we might receive adoption as sons. That principle of God's tenderness, moving to bless those with greatest need, finds its ultimate expression in our adoption in Christ. How so? I think at least in three ways. One, utmost degree of need. As needy and as vulnerable as the orphan is, the need and the vulnerability doesn't compare to us who were dead and who were headed to eternal damnation. Number two, utmost degree of provision on God's part. Not only forgives, not only justifies, but adopts, lavishes the riches of his grace upon us makes us fellow heirs with Christ. And third, it's the utmost sacrifice. Look at what it cost him to bring us into his family. Now transitioning from the tenderness of God, expressed in Psalm 10 and throughout the scriptures, but also now to his justice, promised to the fatherless. God's justice, point number two, God's justice in his care for orphans. Notice in Psalm 10 that for the wicked, there's a lot you can say in scriptures, and especially the Psalms, of what is meant by the wicked. We'll leave much of that aside, but one point about the wicked, as characterized in the Psalms, is that they believe that God does not see, that he takes no notice, that he will not punish. Look at verses 4, verse 4 In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. I think he's not primarily expressing a position of atheism, but a position of God makes no difference to my life. Or verse 13, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? Whereas the psalmist affirms of God, verse 14, but you do see And that God does incline his ear, verse 18, to do justice to the fatherless. But before driving that 
point home too easily. We should note that the wicked are not the only ones prone to suspecting God of being distant, of being aloof. Before the affirmations of God's involvement that we just read, look at verse 1 in Psalm 10. This is, how, this is where he starts. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Verse 12, arise, O Lord God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted, implying that at least in his mind, these things were in danger of happening, that God had not arisen, that he would not lift up his hand, that perhaps he would forget. It's common to all human beings, wicked and godly alike, I think we would admit, to sit in that dark hole of unbelief when God's hand and his judgment are not seen. And to say, God doesn't see. God maybe doesn't act. The difference is in the response. The wicked cherish that idea. They revel in it. They celebrate it. They take advantage of it. God doesn't see. He won't call to account. And they enjoy it. The righteous, however, shake themselves free from that lie rebuke themselves if necessary, and they return to the truth. The, God, the godly fight and they claw out of that hole, and they wrestle like Jacob, and they say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What does that have to do with orphan care on Orphan Sunday? Orphan care is engagement in the spiritual war that rages around us. Paul spoke of it in Ephesians 6, John in Revelation 12, the instruments of spiritual warfare, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. These are the instruments of caring for orphans. We affirm with the psalmist, there will be justice for the orphan and for the oppressed. We affirm that today by faith. We don't see that justice yet played out in the world. We see orphans mistreated. We see their needs not met, their profit and their flourishing not considered. So people put their own interests before those who have no voice. God promises this will not continue without end. We believe that by faith. But we are also human, and we wonder, when will he do that? Do not overlook this fact, this one fact, beloved, that with God one day is as a thousand years in a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient, so we must be patient. God promised Abraham that his offspring would inherit the land, but also that the sin of the Amorites was not yet complete. Abraham dwelt in that promised land as a sojourner. He was a visitor. He was a traveler. He didn't know any of it. The Amorites, however, occupied the land. Wicked, godless, idolaters. And God told Abraham, the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. They have more sinning to do, more judgment to store up. And Abraham did not see the fulfillment of that promise in his lifetime, nor Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jodas, Joseph, all waiting. 
It took 500 years for that promise to come to pass. So, a half a day for God. Do not be deceived, beloved, by the passing of time and by God's patience. Well, the psalmist had verbal evidence of God's justice. He had God's self-revelation to Moses in Exodus 34, that he was a God who would by no means clear the guilty. And he had anecdotal evidence. He knew about the flood. He knew about Sodom and Gomorrah. And that evidence was enough for him to be convinced and to affirm and to write Psalm 10 down and say, I believe in your justice and I believe it will come to pass. How much more for us, for you and I, on this side of the cross, how much more proof do we have that God will not leave sin unpunished? Turn with me to Romans chapter 3 to see this. I think this is one of the, in Romans 3, starting at verse 21, one of the most majestic, choose the right words, but don't hold it against me, one of the most majestic, important, crucial, rich passages, paragraphs in all of the scriptures. Helpful, um, so much here. I want to start in verse 25. Paul is speaking of Christ, speaking of the cross. Romans 3.25, God put Christ forward as a propitiation, a wrath-bearing sacrifice. God put Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See the righteousness of God here at the cross. See his justice against sin. We who have been convinced that God punished on Christ all of the sin of all believers that would have taken eternity in hell to pour out that wrath was poured out on Christ on the cross. We've been convinced of that, so we're left really with no doubt at all that he will someday, one day, in his timing, punish all sin completely, comprehensively, for all time. He will do it. Now to application point number one. Enjoy the Father's love. All that we've sung this morning, love that verse about the, the father of the prodigal son in his mercy is more, that picture of the father. Enjoy the father's love is the first point. George Mueller was a native German whose life spanned essentially the whole 19th century. He spent most of his life in Bristol, England, pastored the same church there for 66 years, he opened uh, and built five large orphan houses and cared for over 10,000 orphans in his life. 10,000 orphans this man cared for. 
in his life. When he died in Bristol in 1898, tens of thousands of people, imagine this, somebody in our congregation died and there was a procession through town and tens of thousands of people lined the streets to see him go by and to pay their last respects. That's what happened for Mueller. Tens of thousands stood around along the route, all seeking to pay a last token of respect. And a thousand children gathered at orphan house number three for a service. They had now lost for a second time a father. This great man, this great orphan loving man, had this to say about what is most important in the Christian's life. Mueller says, According to my judgment, the most important thing to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims on your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls happy in God himself, day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. So before you or I, we think about what we might do for orphans, George Mueller says to us, get yourself happy in God. Pursue through the ordinary means of grace, meditation on his word, prayer, fellowship, the sacraments. Meditate on your adoption in Christ and be happy in your Father. Application point two, follow your Father's love. Imitate him. God has called the Christian to love God and love neighbor. Matthew 22, with a special priority given to the least of these. George Mueller again said, the three chief reasons for establishing an orphan house are these, in order, Number one, that God may be glorified, should he be pleased to furnish me with the means, and it's being seen that it is not a vain thing to trust in him, and that thus the faith of his children may be strengthened. He's saying, I open an orphan house so that God can be shown to be faithful to us, so that those who are observing may have their faith strengthened, that God is a God who hears and cares and acts answers prayer, and faithfully provides. That's why I open an orphan house, number one reason. Number two, the spiritual welfare of fatherless and motherless children. And third, their temporal welfare. So taking this from Mueller, I want to encourage us, this church, as we think on how we can use what God has given us to serve and care for orphans, that we pursue these routes in the same spirit that George Mueller did. Namely, that this is all overarchingly for the glory of God, that he would be known and shown to be faithful, to be caring, to be tender, to be just, to be powerful and active in the affairs of our lives. And next, in caring for orphans, that their spiritual needs be prioritized and considered right along with their physical and temporal needs. Well, some, some in this church have adopted children. Some have fostered. Some have held babies in orphanages. 
Some have done more things for orphans that I'm forgetting or don't know about. And many, if not all, in the room have sacrificed and loved to care for those who are doing those things. Certainly that was true and has been true and is still true for us and for our family. Uh, Not exhaustive examples um, are meals that you brought to our home, flowers that you brought to us, grabbing chairs to make a new back row for us when we're absurdly late to church. There are no more seats. Um, We were doing a lot of driving for a long time, driving to visits, 100 100 miles plus a week. Um, you, You offered to drive to visits, offered to sleep on the kids' floor to get up with them at night. Um, and many, many other things, and especially you prayed for us, and you continue to pray for us, and I want to encourage you to continue to pray for us, especially for Ryan Leo and their family, and um, you entered in with us as a family. Um, you bore burdens with us. You, uh, you rejoiced with us and mourned with us. You felt a lot of those emotions with us, some righteous, some less righteous, um, but you shared with us, and we want to say thank you. I take this opportunity to say thank you to this whole church for the way you helped to care for Ryan Leo and care for us. Let's end on this note. <clears throat> I want to encourage all of us to think about in our different stations in life, many different stations represented here, of and future stations of life. Um, Nikki and I were talking about Orphan care, um, prompted significantly by my parents who had adopted my brother and sister um, while we were dating. And we weren't in much position to take an orphan into our home. We didn't have a home. Um, But thinking about that future state we might be in and laying groundwork. So think not only of what your current station is, but also what future stations God might bring you into how he might use you. What has he given you in gifts, in talents, in time, in money, in desires and enjoyments and skills that you might use to bless orphans, both children and adults, those who are still feeling the effects of being orphaned. There are direct ways. There are less direct ways. But let's think together, pray together, ponder together how we might serve those who are weak and vulnerable. Well, to conclude, I think the evidence, I hope you feel like I do, that the evidence is overwhelming that God loves the fatherless. He loves the orphan. He's tender toward them and promises justice for them. So then let us go meditating upon the tenderness of God our Father, our husband, our home, our portion, our inheritance, noting his justice that has been convincingly demonstrated at the cross. Pursuing daily happiness in God our Father and following his example in sacrificially loving our neighbors, especially the vulnerable, the weak, and the neediest. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you've adopted us and brought us into your family in Christ at great cost to yourself. 
You brought us from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs by your great tenderness and justice. We thank you, Lord, for the Lord's day to gather, to sing, to worship, to fellowship. We pray, Lord, that what has been read from your word, spoken, and heard, that you would use it for your good purposes, God, in our lives, in the lives of our neighbors, especially the weak and vulnerable. And we pray, Lord, for those who have been bereaved, God, that you would be a comforter and you would fulfill all that they lack and that they would look to you in faith and find a loving Father. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.